0: Welcome back to The Hemingway List, the podcast where we do things the Hemingway. Something weird going on with my throat right now. I feel, like I'm, I feel like I'm about to get the hiccups. That's what I feel like. Let's see how we go here. My discussion prompt for Chapter 45 was this. Is it just me or is Cronshaw insufferable? Swim said the mum fish. He said, well, in honor of Cronshaw, for his honesty, here is a Hemingway cocktail recipe. Bit of a swerve, invented by Ernest Hemingway, one of the 20th century's most celebrated and prodigious drinkers, the Green Isaac's special first appearance in the writer's novel Islands in the Stream, uh, where Thomas Hudson lay on a mattress, his head was in the shade, cast by the platform on the forward end of the flying bridge, where the controls were and Eddie came oft with a tall cold drink made of gin, lime juice, green coconut water and chipped ice which just enough Angostura bitters to give it a rusty rose colour. He held the drink in the shadows so the ice would not melt while he looked out over the sea, writes Hemingway. Recipe is taken from Philip Green's To Have and To Have Another, a Hemingway Cocktail Companion, which mixes recipes, anecdotes and biographical information about the famed novelist. The ingredients are this two ounces of, Lem- of London dry gin, 4 ounces of unsweetened coconut water, 1 ounce of lime juice freshly squeezed, 3 dashes of angustra bitters, gin, coconut water, lime juice, bitters. Yeah, sounds alright. Garnish with a lime wedge or peel. Steps, add ingredients to a shaker with ice, shake until well chilled, pour unstrained into a highball glass, chuck in a uh, lime wedge. Very nice. Thank you for sharing that. Acoustic Eels says, Thanks for showing interest in my music two episodes ago. I would like for this to remain an anonymous account, so I will edit out the link later. But I'll leave it up for a few days if anyone wants to follow. My Instagram account is... I will not say the name, so that you can edit it out. But anyone who wants to know, go and have a look at Chapter 45 Discussion uh, in the next day or two, and you can find Acoustic Eels' musical handle. There you go. And says this, Yeah, Cronshaw, nearly destitute, sitting around with a handful of admirers, spouting his poetry and slowly pickling himself. Maybe I'm just too old to appreciate him. If I were younger and a young art student in Paris at the turn of the century, maybe he would seem like a wise old man. This may have already been posted, so skip it. If so, I found today that there's a a a Somerset uh, list. Somerset's list. Oh, I'm going to attempt the name. Morgham's List. Like Hemingway's. It's from his work Great Novelists and Their Novels. You may recognise some of these. History of Tom Jones, A Foundling by Henry Fielding. Nope. Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. Yes, I know that one. The Red and the Black by Stendhal. Yep, bit of a crossover here with Hemingway's List. La Pere Goriot by Honoré Balzac. Be- uh, uh, David Copperfield by Charles Dickens Madame Bovary by Gustave Flobert another one from the Hemingway list Moby Dick, Herman Melville Wuthering Heights, there we go, another one Brothers Karamazov, another one and War and Peace, another one quite a lot of crossover with the Hemingway list that's pretty cool feeling pretty good about myself says Jan Brunt, I'm only too short on that list, nicely done I've read about half of it just because of doing the, the old uh, Hemingway list that's pretty cool Starfall15 says, shorter than Hemingway's, but has two women writers. He chose the Tolstoy I would have chosen if just one. Still three to read for me on this list. I think, I think Hemingway's list has more than one female author, doesn't it? Or am I wrong? Um, it's got Emily Bronte. Oh wow, yeah, it does only have one. I didn't notice that until now. Oh, there you go. Oh dear, excuse me. <clears throat> ah, shouldn't yawn midway through a podcast. That's not good podcasting. Ah, uh, okay, let's keep reading the next chapter. But first, I'm going to do a quick bit of advertising. This podcast is brought to you by Patreon.com/slash The Hemingway List. Patreon.com/slash The Hemingway List. Go and chuck in a dollar and support the podcast if. you... You feel like it. Alright, let's read. Let's read. Chapter XLVI. XLVI. Uh, which is 46. Philip did not find living in Paris as cheap as he had led been led to believe, and by February had spent most of the money with which he started. He was too proud to appeal to his guardian, nor did he wish Aunt Louisa to know that his circumstances were strained, straightened, since... He was certain she would make an effort to send him something from her own pocket, and he knew how little she could afford to. In three months, he would attain his majority and come into possession of his small fortune. He tied it over the interval by selling the few trinkets which he had inherited from his father. At about this time, Lawson suggested that they should take a small studio which was vacant in one of the streets that led out of the boulevard Russ Pale. It was very cheap. It had a room attached which they could use as a bedroom, and since Philip was at school every morning, Lawson could have the undisturbed use of the studio then. Lawson, after wandering from school to school, had come to the conclusion that he would work best alone, and proposed to get a model in three or four days a week. At first, Philip hesitated on account of the expense, but they reckoned it out, and it seemed they were so anxious to have a studio of their own that they calculated pragmatically the cost would not be much greater than that of living in a hotel. Though the rent and the cleaning by the concierge would come to a little more, they would have on the petite déjeuner which they could make themselves. A year or two earlier, Philip would have refused to share a room with anyone since he was so sensitive about his deformed foot, but his morbid way of looking at it was growing less marked. In Paris, it did not seem to matter so much, and though he never by any chance forgot it himself, he ceased to feel that other people were constantly noticing it. They moved in, bought a couple of beds, a washing stand, a few chairs, and felt for the first time the thrill of possession. They were so excited that the first night they went to bed in what they could call a home, they lay awake talking till three in the morning, and next day found lightning, the the fire, and making their own coffee which they had in pyjamas. Such a jolly business that Philip did not get to Amitranos till nearly eleven. He was in excellent spirits. He nodded to Fanny Price. How are you getting on? he asked cheerily. What does that matter to you? she asked in reply. Philip could not help laughing. Don't jump down my throat. I was only trying to make myself polite. I don't want your politeness. "'Do you think it's worth quarrelling with me, too?' asked Philip mildly. "'There are so few people you are on speaking terms with, as it is.' "'That's my business, isn't it?' "'Quite.' He began to work vaguely, wondering why Fanny Price made herself so disagreeable. He had come to the conclusion that he thoroughly disliked her. Everyone did. People were only civil to her at all, from fear of the malice of her tongue, for to their faces and behind their backs she said abominable things.' But Philip was feeling so happy that he did not want even Miss Price to bear ill feeling towards him. He used, he used the artifice which had often before succeeded in banishing her ill humour. I say, I wish you'd come and look at my drawing. I've got all, I've got in, an, I've, I've got in an awful mess. Thank you very much, but I've got something better to do with my time. Philip stared at her in surprise, for the one thing she could be counted upon to do with alacrity was to give advice. She went on quickly in a low voice, savage, with fury. Now that Lawson's gone, you think you'll put up with me. Thank you very much. Go and find somebody else to help you. I don't want anybody else, else's leavings. Lawson had the pedagogic pedagogic instinct. Whenever he found anything out, he was eager to impart it. And because he taught with delight, he talked with Prophet Philip, without thinking anything about it, had got into the habit of sitting by his side. It never occurred to him that Fanny Price was consumed with jealousy and watched his acceptance of someone else's tuition with ever-increasing anger. You were very glad to put up with me when you knew nobody here, he said bitterly, and as soon as you made friends with other people, you threw me aside like an old glove. She repeated the stale metaphor with satisfaction. Like an old glove, all right, I don't care, but I'm not going to be made a fool of another time. There was a suspicion of truth in what she said, and it made Philip angry enough to answer what first came into his head. Hang it all. I only asked your advice because I saw it pleased you. She gave a gasp and threw him a sudden look of anguish. Then two tears rolled down her cheeks. She looked frowsy and grotesque, Philip, not knowing what on earth this new attitude implied, went back to his work. He was uneasy and conscience-stricken, but he would not go to her and say he was sorry if he had caused her pain, because he was afraid she would take the opportunity to snub him. For two or three weeks she did not speak to him, and after Philip had got over the discomfort of being cut by her, He was somewhat relieved to be free from so difficult a friendship. He had been a little disconcerted by the air of proprietorship, she assumed over him. She was an extraordinary woman. She came every day to the studio at eight o'clock, and was ready to start working when the model was in position. She worked steadily, talking to no one, struggling hour after hour with difficulties she could not overcome, and remained till the clock struck twelve. Her work was hopeless. There was not in it the smallest approach, even to the mediocre achievement, at which most of the young persons were able, after some months, to arrive. She wore every day the same ugly brown dress, with the mud of the last wet day still caked on the hem, and with the raggedness which Philip had noticed the first time he saw her still unmended. But one day she came up to him, and with a scarlet face, asked whether she might speak to him afterwards. ''Of course, as much as you like,'' smiled Philip. ''I'll wait behind at twelve.'' He went to her when the day's work was over. ''Will you walk a little bit with me?'' she said, looking away from him with embarrassment. ''Certainly.'' They walked for two or three minutes in silence. ''Do you remember what you said to me the other day?'' she asked, then, on a sudden. ''Oh, I say, don't let's quarrel,'' said Philip. ''It really isn't worth while." She gave a quick, painful inspiration. I don't want to quarrel with you. You're the only friend I had in Paris. I thought you rather liked me. I felt there was something between us. I had—I was drawn towards you. You know what I mean. Your club foot. Philip reddened with instinctively tried to walk without his limp. Philip reddened and instinctively tried to walk without a limp. He did not like anyone to mention the deformity. He knew that Fanny, Pri- what Fanny Price meant. She was ugly and uncouth, and because he was deformed, there was between them a certain sympathy. He was very angry with her, but he forced himself not to speak. "'You said you only asked my advice to please me. Do, don't do you think my work's any good? I've only seen your drawing at Amitrano's. It's awfully hard to judge from that. I was wondering if you'd come and look at my other work. I've never asked anyone else to look at it. I should like to show it to you.' "'It's awfully kind of you. I'd like to see it very much.' "'I live quite near here,' she said apologetically. "'It'll only take you ten minutes.' "'Oh, that's all right,' he said.' They were walking along the boulevard, and she turned down a side street, then led him up another, poorer still, with cheap shops on the ground, and at last st- stopped. They climbed flight after flight of stairs. She unlocked a door, and they went into a tiny attic with a sloping roof and a small window. This was closed, and the room had a musty smell. Though it was very cold there, w- though it was very cold, there was no fire, and no sign that there had been one. The bed was unmade, a chair, a chest of drawers, which served also as a washstand, and a cheap easel, were all the furniture. The place would have been squalid enough in any case, but the litter, the untidiness, made the impression revolting. On the chimney piece, scattered over the paints and brushes, were a cup, dirty plate, and a teapot. If you'll stand over there, I'll put them on the chair so that you can see them better. She showed him twenty small canvases, about eighteen by twelve. She placed them on the chair, one after another. Watching his face, he nodded as he looked at each one. "'Do you like—you like—you do like them, don't you?' she said anxiously after a bit. "'I just want to look at them all first. he answered. "'I'll talk afterwards.' He was collecting himself. He was panic-stricken. He did not know what to say. It was not only that they were ill-drawn or that the colour was put on amateurishly by someone who had no eye for it, but there was no attempt at getting the values, and the perspective was grotesque. It looked like the work of a child of five— a child would have had some naivety, and might at least have made an attempt to put down what he saw, but here was the work of a vulgar mind, chock full of recollections of vulgar pictures. Philip remembered that she had talked enthusiastically about Monet and the Impressionists, but here were only the worst traditions of the Royal Academy. There, she said, at last, that's the lot. Philip was no more truthful than anybody else. But he had a great difficulty in telling a thundering, deliberate lie, and he blushed furiously when he answered, I think they're most awfully good. A faint colour came into her unhealthy cheeks, and she smiled a little. You needn't say that if you don't think so, you know. I want the truth. But I do think so. Haven't you got any criticism to offer? There must be some you don't like, as well as others. Philip looked round helplessly. He saw a landscape, the typical picturesque bit of the amateur, an old bridge, "'a creeper-clad cottage and a leafy bank. "'Of course I don't pretend to know anything about it,' he said, "'but I wasn't quite sure about the values of that.' She flushed darkly and, taking up the picture, quickly turned its back to him. "'I don't know why you should have chosen that one to sneer at. "'It's the best thing I've ever done. "'I'm sure my values are all right. "'That's a thing you can't teach anyone. "'You either understand values or you don't.' "'I think they're all most awfully good,' repeated Philip." She looked at them with an air of self-satisfaction. I don't think they're anything to be ashamed of. Philip looked at his watch. I say, it's getting late. Won't you let me give you a little lunch? I've got my lunch waiting for me here. Philip saw no sign of it, but supposed perhaps the concierge would bring it up when he was gone. He was in a hurry to get away. The mustiness of the room made his headache. All right, there we go. There's another chapter down. Fanny Price, what is going on, Fanny Price? Get your act together. All right, have your say over on the subreddit. Thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.